We are on air. Hello, everyone, and happy Friday. Today is Friday, December 19th, and this is Episode 8 of our Google Hangouts and podcast on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe Firm and NimbleDisk. With me is John Downey, consulting network engineer at Cisco Systems. Welcome back again, John. Thanks, Brady, and uh, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. We're in the uh, Christmas season here, the holiday season, so uh, happy holidays to everyone out there watching and listening to this. Today we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we're going to be talking about Doxis again, and uh, <laughs> I think specifically today we'll be talking about load balancing and also answering some questions that we've had coming in from the audience. Um, so, John, you know, not only do we have a lot of traffic increasing, but also a lot of subscribers growing on our Doxis networks, which means a lot more cable modems. Uh, we have a mixture of Doxis 1.1, 2.0, 3.0 cable modems, massive amounts of traffics out there. And, and so one of the tools that we use to sort of manage all this traffic is load balancing. And this concept of load balancing is a lot of times not well understood and, and sometimes not even well implemented in our CMTSs. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like maybe if you can sort of help guide us through, help, un, help describe exactly what is load balancing why we use it, and how it helps manage some of the traffic in our Doxis networks. Sure, sure. Um, let's, so let's get a baseline here. A MAC domain used to be one downstream and multiple upstreams. Um, those multiple upstreams could be four separate upstream frequencies for a fiber node, or it could be four fiber nodes all at the same frequency on the upstream, but that was considered a MAC domain. One downstream was feeding maybe four nodes, and four separate upstream ports. It was a one by four MAC domain. To implement downstream load balance back then, we had to combine multiple downstreams together, feed a service area, but those downstreams were two MAC domains, two different SID spaces. Uh, the SID is a service identifier, service, service ID. To do that, a modem that moved from one downstream to another downstream frequency would have to move to a different MAC domain, a different SID space, different set of upstreams. So when we had legacy uh, line cards, CMTS line cards, that was difficult to implement because if you had to provide two upstream frequencies for two different MAC domains, uh, you just used up more upstream spectrum. And the upstream, we all know upstream spectrum is very hard to come by. So it was difficult to do downstream load balance if we, we were forced to do more upstream channels to support the downstream load balance. Now with modular CMTS, integrated CMTS, DOCSIS 3.0, all these things came together at the same time, we started implementing something called M by N MAC domains, where we could do multiple downstreams in a cable interface or a MAC domain. It's no longer one downstream. It could be 24 downstreams in a MAC domain. You could make a 24 by 8 MAC domain, meaning 24 downstreams feeding a service area, and maybe eight upstreams where maybe you're doing four upstream frequencies in one fiber node and four upstream frequencies on another fiber node. That would be a 24 by 8 MAC domain, but it's four upstream frequencies on two different nodes. So with that said, now we can move modems between downstreams without forcing an upstream move. So we have gone from... Um, uh, a simple downstream frequency override, move a modem, make it re-register to something called dynamic channel change, DCC. So dynamic channel change has different 
variables, different techniques that allow a modem to move and maybe uh, reacquire its upstream sync, upstream uh, ranging, uh, time offsets, and everything's good. Layer 3 connectivity is very fast, but it's also less uh, resilient, meaning if I move from one downstream frequency to another and levels change quite a bit, the modem might re-register. Or if I move from one downstream frequency to another downstream frequency and time offsets change, then the modem might re-register. It might stay on a new frequency, but it has to register so you lose layer three. So there's a lot of uh, gotchas there. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I tell people, if you're going to do multiple downstream frequencies, try to keep them contiguous. If you separate them too far apart in a real cable plant, a 2.0 modem that moves from, say, 111 megahertz center frequency to 750 megahertz center frequency, in a real cable plant, the levels are going to be totally different at the house. So the modem will probably re-register. So, so, I mean, back to the, the really simple, like, you know, uh, one downstream, four upstreams. If we think about the old MC28U card, this is really kind of simple to understand. Uh, if you have like a, a cable 3.0, that's your downstream, and you have four upstreams on that. Uh, so we're, you know, we have a lot of modems on on the say the upstream, and we're trying to to load balance there. Sort of, how does how does load balancing, uh, you know, if I if I'm looking at a lot of modems on my upstream, and maybe I have two downstream channels, so now we have a couple of MAC domains here. What, what's the advantage of load balancing when our, we're, we have a lot of traffic and we're trying to manage that traffic? So I'm, you know, I kind of want to take a step back and understand how load balancing may help in, in that type of scenario. Two MAC domains, two downstream channels, multiple upstream channels associated with each of those downstreams. So, so let's look at it this way. Let's suppose you have uh, one downstream feeding a fiber node and another cable interface, another downstream, same frequency because different network, um, at 453 megahertz, whatever feeding another fiber node. So you are narrow casting one downstream worth, say, 37 megabits per second, that's the size of the pipe, to one fiber node and another downstream feeding another fiber node. So your peak traffic might be 30 meg. Uh, everybody on that fiber node has to share 30, 37 meg. Um, but what if one fiber node is underutilized and the other fiber node is overutilized? Well, what's the easiest way for me to share? I could do more downstream frequencies, combine the two channels, make sure they're not overlapping frequencies, so maybe 453 and 459 megahertz, combine them, and then split them back to the two fiber nodes. Overall, you haven't increased anything, right? You just made the pipe bigger for a bigger service area to share. By doing that, we have better stat muxing. We are sharing a highly utilized node with an underutilized node, we're letting all the modems share both downstreams and balance between the two. We also allow a higher peak speed if we go to, say, DOCSIS 3 uh, bonding. So the only pitfall to doing that is now you have to come up with downstream spectrum. You can't reuse the same frequency, right, because you combine two downstream ports or two downstreams into one service area, so now you have to have uh, non-overlapping frequencies. That's the trade-off. But that okay. does give me an easy solution to have a bigger pipe and share it. Right. So we've we've got, as you're saying now, you've got 38 megabits per second, two channels that 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 you can balance a group of cable modems between. So if I'm looking at this with my like an SNMP monitoring system, um, you know, say at some usage time, I should be able to see if I have my load balancing set up correctly that I have say 50, 
you know, 50% of my traffic on one of those downstream channels and 50% of my traffic on the other downstream channel. Is that is that what I should be looking for? So you bring up a good point. There's two points there. One is what when you look at utilization bits per second, megabits per second, and you try. There's three points here. I'm thinking in my head. Um, what are you dividing by to get a percentage? Because a lot of times people use SNMP to grab bits per second. So how do you get percentage? You have to divide by the aggregate, the, the, the speed. Some people were dividing by 42.88. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the raw speed of Annex B256 QAM. That's not usable. You can't take 30 megabits per second of traffic and divide by 42 and say that's my utilization because the pipe is not worth 42. The pipe is only worth, you just said 38. I said 37. I know in an MCMTS system, it's more like 36 meg. So per, personally, I would rather lean towards 36 meg as usable. Well, I definitely I would like say, 42 better. That, I mean, 42 is faster <laughs> than, than, way faster than 36. You know where 42 comes? Marketing. Uh, marketing <laughs> spreadsheets and data sheets will always say, oh yeah, this is worth 42 meg. Well, no, not really. Yeah, I guess it is if you were count FAC and trellis coding and all the overhead. <laughs> but from the end user point of view, you know, me as an end user, I go to a speed test site. I'm at layer three of the OSI model. I don't read layer one, layer two overhead. So layer three and above on the OSI model of bits per second, that might be 36 meg. So if I see 30 megabits per second reported from the CMTS, I might say, all right, the CMTS does include maybe layer two. Uh, so maybe I divide by 37 or 38, and that's my utilization. Yeah, and, and so that, that's really important to understand is, you know, at the end of the day, what the, the actual total traffic that the potentially the subscriber would ever be able to use out of the CMTS is, is not that theoretical 42, but it is actually maybe more like 37, or what you're saying is 36 yeah. megabits per second. Yeah, so yeah. it's really important that people understand that. So that's my one point. I got two more. My second oh my point gosh. is, I know. My second <laughs> point is, point. <laughs> I have five sub points and sub sub points. PSS. <laughs> so if if I tell you I have 30 megabits per second, in what time frame am I referring to? Is that one second? Was that over a rolling time average window, like a rolling window? You know, how big is this window? I know by default on our CMTS, the default is 300 seconds. We call it a load interval. So if it's 300 seconds, that's five minutes. So in theory, if you were to look at megabits per second on a graph that's graphing every second, you could have peaks of 100%, zero, 100%, zero, 100%, zero, and over a five-minute window, that's 50%. So that doesn't really give me a good indication of the real traffic pattern or if maybe I should be load balancing. So the question is, how big is this window? I personally select 30 seconds or 60 seconds to be this rolling window, so it's a little bit more granular. So I'm not looking over a longer time frame, making it appear more stable than it really is. So you're um, saying that the load balancing decisions are made on a, on a 300 second uh, decision window? They could be. They could be. And if that's the case, you might find that your utilization looks perfect. I've had this before where a customer was happy. And, oh yeah, my utilization is 50%, 50%, 65, 55, everything looks fine. 
I said, yeah, but if you were to look at it in real time, you might actually see that you have congestion for a minute and then a congestion on another one for a minute because your rolling average is so big that it's averaging out. And maybe load balance would have been better with a smaller window. Not too tight, because if you make the, the, the window too granular, now you have too much movement. Which brings up kind of my third point. My third point is, what is critical here as far as moving modems? You know, do I really need to move uh, a modem to an interface that's at 20% when the interface I'm on is only 50%? You know, what is the bottom line point of load balance? You know, what are we trying to achieve? We take a bit step back and say, all right, we don't want an individual RF channel to be overutilized and have congestion and have the queues back up or have anything drop, packets delayed, packets drop, no latency, no jitter, um, no delays, anything like that. So what do we want to do? We want to make sure every RF channel is, is happy, it's line rate, and do I really care if two interfaces are within 5% of each other or am I more concerned with just making sure every interface is below, say, 80%? So I used to have, um, uh, on the downstream, we used to have a watermark, I call it a watermark, of 25%. And that said, if any interface is below 25%, we don't really care. And we said if two interfaces were off by 10%, then both interface, one of those interfaces had to be above 25% to even care about it. Well, now we have a configurable watermark, and I'm setting that to 50 or 60%. If I can set my watermark to 50 or 60%, then I set my delta between the interfaces a little bit tighter. I might set it to, say, 20%, maybe 15%. And, and, all, and this, this is discussion, what you're, what you're talking about, is all of this type of load balancing is, is based on the, the feature in load balancing called utilization. So that this is load yeah. balancing utilization, not load balancing based on modem count or, or some other type of utilization, right? Yeah, yeah. If we took a, a, a further step back and did modem count, that would be simple. Once the modem registers, we balance them out almost perfectly, 100 modems here, 100 modems there, and we're done. Right. And that's the most easiest, most stable, but how can you balance? You're not balancing the load. But load is utilization. You're balancing the modem count. You know, right. so if we really want to do load balancing, we should balance the load, which is utilization. Uh, but we don't want to get too aggressive uh, because the more movements we have, the more potential issues we have with DCC, dynamic channel change. And then if we start looking at DOCSIS 3.0, now we have to do DBC, dynamic bonding change. We might have to move a 3.0 modem between two different bonding groups. You know, if I get to 16 downstream channels, I might have two 8-channel bonding groups. So now I'm moving modems between two groups of eight. So, so we are taking this a step further. We have the 1120 modems low balance between individual RF channels. We have the 30 modems spreading their data in a bonding group, which could be eight downstreams. Then we have 30 modems potentially moving between two eight channel groups. So there's a lot of features banging heads against each other. You know, how quickly is the 30 modem spreading its data across the, the group of eight? How much is the 2.0 modems moving between the, the individual RF channels in the group of eight? And what about across the two groups of eight? You know, I'm just I'm taking this even you know, further out. We could be looking at 32 downstream channels you know, anytime soon.
Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some challenges. So I mean, so you're definitely. I, I got from right away. You said you know, basing load balancing based on modem count is that's just not something that's really practical. You're always going to base load balancing based on utilization, and then with the utilization, are are you doing that? Are are you recommending changing the timing on the utilization, or how how are you recommending the utiliz the basically utilization? What what we've had pretty good success with so far, you know, after a few years of trial and error, and see the instability in real cable plants. And and let me add one more thing. This comes down to tiers of service. What is the highest speed you should offer to a modem that could eat up that that aggregate pipe? So for a one one and two a modem, it's a single tuner modem right, a single channel. So if I already told you the single channel is only worth 36 megabits per second, what is the highest rate you should even offer to that 2.0 modem? Because if you offer too high, he could eat up the entire pipe, and now it interferes with load balance. Because load balance says, oh, my downstream is at 75%, I need to move a modem. It happens to grab the modem doing 30 megabits per second, moves them over to another stream, now that downstream is overloaded. So you don't want one user to make utilization act uh, like it's thrashing, you know, bouncing back and forth. So our rule of thumb, and most people have been following this, is don't offer more than half of what the aggregate speed is. So a 2 modem, you shouldn't offer higher than, say, 15 to 18 megabits per second. I still have a couple customers, maybe Latin America and stuff like that, offering 20, 25 meg from a 2 modem, and they sh really shouldn't be. I mean, you can, and it works fine in the lab, but if you try to do that and load balance, it's going to cause potential issues. Or you decide, if I really have to offer 20, 25 meg on a 2 modem, maybe I exclude him from load balancing. Do you understand? Yeah, so, you know, it, it's a, while you're talking about excluding modems from load balancing, wh what do we do about the modems that continuously show up as failing uh, load balancing, failing the dynamic channel change? Um, in Cisco CMTS, we have something called max failures. So if a modem fails more than I think default is three to five, I can't, I'm not sure. I usually set it to 10. Um, if it has more than three to five failures on DCC, then we put in an internal list that says he can't load balance anymore. And is that Believe a configurable me, parameter or do, is that yeah. automatic in the CMTS? It's, it's a, there's a default, so it's on by default, but it's configurable. So there's cases where I had miswiring one time, and the modems were getting all these DCC failures, and then once I fixed the wiring, they still wouldn't load balance because they hit their max failures. So I increased my max failures from, say, 5 to 10, and then they started load balancing again. So it's, it's a nice catch-all from the CMTS point of view to say if modems are failing DCC, maybe we should put him in their own little list to say, you know, he's not worth moving anymore because he's just causing problems. And if I waste my time trying to move that modem, I just wasted time not moving another modem. There are definitely, my point of view is, we shouldn't move modems with too high of a speed because that will make the next interface overloaded if we move it. We shouldn't move modems with too low of a speed because they won't contribute any utilization. You understand? Yep. I mean, um, so we have rules. Doxis load balancing 
allow us to set policies and rules to say a modem with a real low speed, don't move them. So that could be an EMTA. That could be a docked set-top gateway, you know, a set-top box with a built-in modem. Well, maybe he doesn't have any throughput because it's a set-top box. Why would I move him? He's not going to contribute to any load balance. Yeah, and you mentioned EMTAs. How about a voice modem? I mean, when, it, when a voice call is going on, uh, and you know, are those going to be moved, and what happens to the voice call when, when potentially that modem may get moved? So by default, if a voice call is going, on the upstream it would be a UGS flow. On the downstream it would be a low latency queue associated with that upstream unsolicited grant service UGS flow. And we purposely don't move those devices with a voice call. Now, if it's an EMTA with no voice call, we will let it move because we know a lot of customers are doing data and voice. That makes sense. Absolutely. Very. And clear. then you could also you could also set up uh, rules and policies to say I don't want to move those EMTAs. Like maybe it used to be we could do an exclude based on the OUI of a MAC address, and we found that a lot of the OUIs, the original how, original unique identifier, or uh, yeah, or I believe that's what it stands. It's something like that. <laughs> you know, so the OUI tells you who the who the manufacturer of it. It's the first six hex well, we, characters. Yeah, tells you who the, the manufacturer of the device is. First three bytes, which is the first six hex characters in a MAC address. The problem is a lot of manufacturers would use that same OUI for a 2.0 EMTA and a 2.0 modem, yeah. and now we have no differentiator. Uh, so we came up with a mask also because I found out a lot of times in the MAC address, the next byte might be just that one difference I needed to really track down the EMTAs. Do you understand? Yeah, like yeah. Further into the MAC address. A lot of times if you look at the MAC address uh, of the cable modem and the MAC address of the EMTA, it's just the very last character in, in that <laughs> MAC address. It's the, yeah, it's so we allow that. By one. Yeah, so we allow that now we can exclude... A, a mask of the MAC address. And maybe that's enough for you to say that's all EMTAs from Cisco or Motorola Ares, whoever. Um, so you might decide I don't ever want to move an EMTA um, because I just don't want to chance it, even though we don't move EMTAs with voice calls anyway, but uh, maybe you just don't want to chance it. Or maybe you know of certain devices that don't like DCC and you didn't roll out new firmware for those modems. And you know they have issues, right. so you exclude them from load balance. So, um, how about test equipment? Have you have you seen what's happened on the test equipment side when when you send a DCC to test equipment? That's a good point. You know, uh, I always recommend that I would exclude my test equipment from load balance because when you're a technician out in the field trying to measure the MER constellation and levels of 453 megahertz and the CMTS is overriding you and, and pushing you to 459 megahertz, you know, you're like looking at your test equipment saying, you know, what the heck's going on? I'm trying to measure 453. You know, so in the test equipment, in the CMTS you should probably exclude all the test equipment from load balance and maybe even from pre-EQ. You know, because if you're trying to track down upstream impairments, maybe you don't want the test equipment to do pre-equalization and mask, you know, uh, uh, MER issues with you know, group delay. So I would go in my CMTS, exclude the test equipment, uh, and then in the test equipment, you should have the capability to, to cycle between the downstreams manually. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and so some test equipment vendors will actually see that DCC message come down. If so, if, if they're not excluded, they'll they'll intercept it and say, oh no, I'm not going to listen to it. And they'll either flag a message to the user and say, do you want me to to abide by this DCC message, this dynamic channel change, and move and give the operator the ability to move or not to move. Um, but not all test equipment vendors do that. So if you don't exclude it, so that's why John's saying, hey, this is a really good idea, um, because not all test equipment's created equal, then uh, you know, that test equipment will just move channels if, it, if it's not smart enough to know that it's not something they should be doing. Yeah, yep, definitely. You know, and we talk about, we're talking about load balancing, and you asked about modem count and utilization, and, and the way I look at it is, um, the 2.0 modems, I'm going to do utilization because they only have the capability to do a single channel. So I'd like to give them the opportunity to move between downstreams and share as much as possible. So any downstream frequency you allocate, you're probably going to make them all primary capable so all the 2.0 modems can utilize it. You've got to realize 2.0 modems stop scanning after 860 megahertz. The last downstream channel they can probably tune to is 855. So if you have a 1 gigahertz plant, uh, you got to keep in mind anything about 861 megahertz center frequency above is only for 3.0. 2.0 modems can't utilize it. So you got to keep that in mind for the 2.0. Uh, and you might need to know that for your low balance groups. Because if you include downstreams that are in a low balance group and 2.0 modems try to use it, they're not going to be able to tune and they'll go offline. So i got to keep that in mind as well as the tuning capabilities of these devices. So you asked about modem count. Where I think modem count might still play a role is if we have a low number of devices, it might behoove us for stability concerns to do modem count just on these devices. And what I'm going to say is the high downstream bonding capable modems. What I'm getting at is what if you go to 24 downstreams or even 32 downstreams and you only have 30 16 by 4 capable modems? Here's a case where I could see me just doing modem count distribution, modem count load balance of those devices, and then utilization on everything else. You see where I'm going with that? Yes. Yeah. Because they, they already have the capability to do 16 downstreams of bonding. Why do I want to add instability to my plant by making these modems jump between two groups of 16? Maybe it'd be better for me just to do a modem distribution for these uh, low count number of modems and they're already high capacity modems to begin with. And that's just something in top of my mind right now. I just don't have any field results back yet to see if it's really worthwhile or not. Yeah, there's not enough data at this time. So. Yeah. All right, so, so we have uh, uh, some questions we can get to here. Uh, one is... Uh, uh, up on your Q&A panel probably there. It says, can we exclude by DOCSIS device class, uh, such as ES set-top boxes, EMTAs, EDVAs, et cetera? Yeah, so I mean, with, that's the beauty of DOCSIS load balancing when it got implemented in DOCSIS 2.0. Uh, it was not just meant for load balancing, but also meant for steering. So we could make restricted load balance groups with tags and when a modem registered, it would get its proper tag. Now, the tag could be uh, service class name. It could be the DOCSIS device type. 
It could be 20301011. It could be a set-top box EMP, and we could see that device type when it registers, put it in a tag, and then the load balance could say, "Oh, you're you're supposed to you came up on uh, 700 megahertz, but because of my restricted load balance group with this tag, you're supposed to be on 453 megahertz." So I can sort of intercept it. DOCSIS says the modem must fully register, and then we do a DCC to move the modem to where it's supposed to be, and then it could load balance in the downstreams of that restricted load balance group. So I, let me give you an example. Let's suppose I have, uh, um, I see this a lot on the upstream. Let's suppose I have five upstream frequencies. One upstream frequency is a quarantine channel, meaning it's only 1.6 megahertz wide, and I'm only running QPSK for set-top boxes, and I put it all the way down at 15 megahertz. And then I do four ATDMA channel for upstream bonding. So the four upstreams, I'm going to make a restricted low balance group for 2.0 and 3.0 tagging. So if a 2.0 or 3.0 modem comes up on the quarantine channel, the CMTS says, oh, no, 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 you're supposed to be in these four. That way you can do full bonding and load balancing. And the set-top box, if he comes up on any of these four ATDMA, I will intercept it and put him on his own quarantine channel because at QPSK, that device can transmit higher level as well. And because it's a set-top box, he doesn't need throughput. So these are ways for me to steer devices and then also load balance as well. Sure. Good. Good. Yeah, I think that completely covers it. Um, so we had uh, we had a question that came in, and uh, you know I think we we covered this in advance, but uh, the the question is, do you know how to split the upstream by two-way splitter? We 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 think that this is uh, an optical two-way splitter, and it's for load balancing. So you know multiple devices will 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 connect with uh, two different optical receiver ports. Um, so you know the the question sort of is if if we've got couple different optical ports in, how do we do load balancing uh, uh, optically into the CMTS? Um, so have you ever looked at this? Have you considered this? And is it possible? I, I, you know, I think the, the answer to the question is if you've got multiple optical returns, you have to run them into m multiple optical receivers, return path receivers, and then run those into two return path ports on the CMTS if you want to do load balancing. So there's two things that come to mind with that, uh, with your explanation, is one, are they optically combining two nodes into one optical receiver, which sounds like an RFOG DPON solution, right, RFOG glass, and if so, those lasers out in the field have to turn on and off. You can't have two upstream lasers at 1310 nanometer coming back to one receiver. You have only got optical bead interference, right? right. Um, so, so that's uh, an entire new, a whole subject by itself, RFOG and DPON. Uh, if you're talking about two optical receivers being RF combined, while well, you're just combining two nodes worth of noise and going to an upstream connector on the CMTS, um, and that's perfectly fine. It's just that you're it's combining just not noise. A, it's not a good thing to do because you, you have the noise com combination. <laughs> You're only as good as your weakest link, yeah. and now you just made one node susceptible to the to the limitation of the other node, you know, and and that's not usually a good thing either. But with that said, I have seen customers go to node plus zero architectures, and that now 
they went from, let me give you an example, their hub site went from 30 optical receivers in the head end to 200 optical receivers in the head end because they went to node plus zero architecture. So now they have 200 optical receivers in the head end, and when you hook it up to a CMTS, what are you going to do? You need 200 CMTS upstream ports. Well, that's not going to happen uh, because you only have one CMTS with 120 upstream ports. Because they went to node plus zero, and maybe it's digital reverse, their MERs are really good. So they're deciding to save on CTS ports. We're going to have to, even though we made our HFC plant very segmented, we're going to have to combine it back anyway because of our lack of upstream connectivity on the CMTS. But, and, and sometimes that's, you have to do what you got to do, right? Uh, and because the MERs were so good and it's node plus zero, uh, there was really no harm there. I would contend that why did you do node plus zero if you had to combine it back anyway? <laughs> you might have been able to do a design like node plus one or node plus two and not have that many nodes and maybe save money in the long run. I don't know. There's a fine line there between service group sizing, right? Do I do more frequencies to, to feed a big service group? Or do I make my service groups really small and targeted? But if I have to provide all these frequencies anyway, it, there's a trade-off. Right. Yep, absolutely. Should we get another okay, so question? Yeah, we got a, we got a few here. Uh, we, ha we have one from our uh, uh, the email I sent you from uh, uh, our friends in, in the Caribbean. And uh, uh, you know they they're having some problems with load balancing. They've they've moved a little bit from uh, uh, cable modem based load balancing to um, uh, uh, utilization utilization based load balancing. One of the things that they're looking at is you know uh, what's the best method they can get historical data uh, on the modem itself. Uh, to see what, what the movement's been. So they can sort of troubleshoot some of the issues that they've been having. They say they use SNMP every five minutes to gather stats on the signal and, and other stuff, etc. Uh, but they're having uh, reports of, of dropouts of the modems every three to five minutes when things are, are busy. And they, you know, they're assuming that's because of the, move, the cable modems are moving back and forth. So uh, they, they really want to know, you know, how can they see what's going on if, if modem movement is the problem now that they've moved from modem count to utilization based movement so what's you know what are your recommendations on troubleshooting uh, issues to, to see if it is a, a, a load balancing is there root well, cause of well, problem? Well, well, well one the modem should have its own log right the modem should have its own log so you say so pull the log they, files from the modem if they can if they can sometimes that's difficult to do but if they can pull the log files from the modem you should be able to see that it lost downstream sync or it got a t4 timeout which would be loss of downstream sync also or did it get a dcc did it get a dynamic channel change and if that was the case and it went offline well now we know um from the cmts point of view i don't know which cmts and i don't know uh, what code they're running. But I know from our CMTS and latest code, we can look at per modem stats. And uh, if a modem was excluded from load balance because of too many max failures, we can pull that up. Uh, if a modem is being restricted from load balance because it had voice calls, I can see that as well. So there are some commands that I can pull. I'm not an SNMP expert, so I don't know the SNMP MIBs and stuff that correlate with these show commands, but I know we have these commands on the CMTS 
to see us in the modem that has been either blocked, excluded from load balance, or if it's having issues. But you would think that one of the first steps would be to look at the modem log, you know, yeah. to see if the modem has its own log. And and you can definitely, you know, with SNMP, you can definitely pull the entire modem log over SNMP. So that that would be a, a good way to start. And like I said at the beginning, DCC has multiple techniques. Maybe you're trying to do technique four that's very uh, fast but not as resilient. Maybe you should drop the technique three. Technique three says let the modem move on the downstream but redo its ranging. So if it redoes its upstream ranging, it's going to lose layer three connectivity a little bit longer but it'll stay online. Maybe technique four is just not as resilient and you're moving from one downstream to another and the time offsets are slightly different. And right. that could be part of it. Okay. All right, we're going to take two more questions that are that are on the uh, on our Q and A board here. Uh, we have one uh, from Sean. It says uh, modems that are slow to log on to the CMTS was mentioned previously. Can the reasons slash problems be briefly explained? I.e., the modem has connected to the CMTS but will keep logging onto the DOCSIS one downstream and not the DOCSIS three downstream. So, I mean, I've been I've been seeing this uh, a lot lately with some clients of mine. Uh, particularly if they're using like older Doxis 2 uh, cable modems with old firmware in them, they will take a long time to log on. Um, and maybe it, it's because the, the provisioning server is pushing new firmware to the modem, so that, that's one reason that uh, it will take the modem like 45 minutes to log on because they're doing a firmware upgrade um, during that, that initial logon process. Uh, process, John. I, I don't know what you're seeing as far as cable modems taking a long time to log on, or uh, as as the question here is, it's logging onto the Doxis one downstream and not the Doxis three downstream. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is if the one Doxis one downstream is uh, lower in frequency, and then the Doxis three downstream, it's going to lock to that downstream. It's going to see that downstream before it sees the Doxis three downstream when it's doing its scanning process. So. So that's a good point is one, is it a specific type of modem? Two, does that type of modem have a scanning that goes up or down and where does it start? I remember our old Cisco cable modems, this was before Cisco even bought SA, uh, they used to start at 453. So I used to use 453 in my lab all the time because I knew the modems would lock on faster. Because <laughs> I knew that's where they started. I also knew that the upstream ports on the CMTS used to be calibrated at 24 megahertz, and they would they would be right on the money at 24, and then it would be calibrated plus or minus a dB from there. So I always used 24 megahertz for my upstream. <laughs> so there were certain frequencies I'd always pick because I knew they were probably the best. Uh, but the modem sometimes will start at uh, 300, 400 megahertz and scan up, but I've seen some that scan down. They might start high and go low. Um, the other thing is modems cache a known good downstream that they locked on. So what if a modem was locked on the 1.0 downstream and it cached it, it saves it, so it's always going to check there. Uh, if the modem starts scanning downstream, it's supposed to go back and look every so often if it came back. So if I'm locked on 453 megahertz, and you told me that DOCSIS 3.0 was 500, it should scan its way up, but it might keep going back to check. Oh, it's there, so it tries to range. It doesn't range, it fails, it starts scanning again. So does it scan again where it left off, or does it scan again right after the 1.0 downstream? So it just ends up in a continuous loop. Instead of continuing where it left off and keep scanning the downstreams, um, so that could be an issue. A lot of times that's easily fixed by just you know, hitting that little reset button inside the cable modem. You know, with a little paper or uh, uh, a paper clip 
You know, there might be a recess button that you could hold for 30 seconds to reset it back to factory reset. Yeah, you uh, want to cache out. You want to you want to get rid of that that stored frequency that's in the cable modem, and and you're doing that by resetting the modem itself because the modem does normally cache at least the last one or two known good frequencies. Which and and Sean's clarified that this is a DOCSIS three modem in this case, but it, it's storing that that DOCSIS one downstream, and in this case, not the DOCSIS three downstream. So, so the dilemma I see is sometimes you could you could power cycle the modems and they come back much faster, right? But everything I just mentioned there was trying to get at the customer's premise. <laughs> so how are you going to get in there? You're going to call yeah. up the customer and say, hey, can you power cycle it? Can you reset it? You know, it's like from a script, right? <laughs> um, how do we reset these modems or get them to come up quicker from the CMTS point of view without the end customer knowing? Um, what I've found is uh, with upstream bonding, this could be worse. With upstream bonding, we have a T4 multiplier that says the T4 timer in a modem is 30 seconds, but we multiply by the number of upstreams in the bonding group. So a modem that's doing upstream bonding, a four-channel upstream bonding, is going to be four times 30. That's a 120-second T4 timer. So I could pull the cable from the modem, and it could stay downstream locked for two minutes. So if I'm, my recommendation from the CMTS point of view to reset modems, 3.0 modems, is I would always do a clear cable modem, MAC address, and reset, so the CMTS sends a hard reset to the modem. And then I might do a delete from the CMTS MAC table to clear out the tables from the CMTS. Anything that's offline, I might say clear cable modem, offline, delete, and delete all the modems I just reset. Uh, now, what, what way, is deleting, you know, because normally I, I clear cable modems, but what does deleting do in addition to just clearing it from the it CMTS? It clears the MAC address association and the CPE from the CMTS. So the SIDS, the, the service ID, everything's cleared out. There's nothing in the CMTS registry or the history of the CMTS to know that that modem's ever registered there. So you're clearing out the table altogether. Okay. So it's, sometimes it's better to almost like start from scratch. I mean, Modem, it didn't start from scratch. Remember, it's still cached the downstream it knew from two weeks ago. So you still run into that issue of maybe it's just locking onto a cache downstream. Uh, when we started this call today, we talked about multiple MAC domains. I had this problem all the time where the customer is doing two MAC domains to an area. The modem finds a downstream that's only physically wired on the upstream for one MAC domain. So he locks on a downstream, ranges, but his ranging is coming on a different wire than the downstream MAC domain that he was ranging for. Do you understand? Yeah, it's just like, like cross-wire. is communicating on a – yeah, talking to the wrong person. <laughs> it's listening yeah. to. So in, in a Cisco CMTS, we have something called downstream frequency override. that's supposed to intercept that and say, hey, I saw your ranging come on this upstream port, which, by the way, is associated with this other downstream. So we will do a downstream frequency override, say, hey, you need to move to this other downstream, and it quickly moves over, and it registers, and it's good to go, right. if, if right. it works, <laughs> if it's physically wired there. <laughs> okay, excellent. All right, last question we'll take is from uh, uh, Pavle. I, I apologize if I'm getting the, pronouncing the name wrong, but the question is, what's the preferred method for configuring load balancing uh, Cisco versus Cisco load balancing, or DOCSIS versus Cisco <laughs> load balancing? Cisco um, versus Cisco. <laughs> uh, <do> Cisco. <laughs> What's the other Cisco? S Y S E O. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's DOCSIS versus Cisco load balancing. So, so Cisco load balance was was a, our stab at getting some load balancing before Cable Labs uh, finalized the spec. And once they finalize the spec, they call it DOCSIS load balancing, and now that's the preferred method because that is the way for us to steer modems and load balance. There's a much more functionality and flexibility with a DOCSIS load balancing to steer the modems, to load balance, to exclude, to track the modems, um, and, and all that. The Cisco load balance was a nice first try at load balancing. Um, we're actually deprecating, meaning we're getting rid of that load balancing in the next CMTS anyway. So we really need to get customers to migrate away from the Cisco load balancing and go to the DOCSIS load balancing. All right. Great answer. So that's a wrap. John, Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays to everyone. Have a great new year. Thanks for your time. And uh, we're going to sign off. All right. All Have right. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, <laughs> my